0: It's a give and take in marriage. Um, We've both had those times where we've had to step out of our own hurt or blame shifting and just say, you know what? Ultimately, God wants our marriage to be unified. He wants us to feel like we belong to him and then to each other. And then we have to talk about that and how to keep that from happening again.
1: And the good news in a marriage, sometimes it's like, I just don't love you right now, or I'm having a hard time loving you. The, The absolute wonderful mystery of Christianity is that we are not the source of the love that we give to our spouse. Well, howdy, I'm Mark. I'm Grace and we're here with the real marriage podcast thank you for tuning in uh it's a great honor to have you and we're here to help and uh, what we're doing now we're pulling out a few scriptures and themes from the amazing epic world-changing book of romans It is the Mount Everest of the New Testament, and uh, I've been preaching through it. Grace has been teaching the women at our church through it. We've been studying it together. We want to help you as a couple learn God's word. So we've got a free, massive, massive study guide for you, Introduction Overview of Romans. And uh, today, we're gonna spend time in an incredible text that changed my whole life. It's amazing how God can use one scripture to literally change your whole life, your legacy for generations to come. And so- The living word of God. Yep, the living and active word of God, says the pastor's wife. All right, why don't you read it, baby? It's Romans one, six and seven. This is where Paul begins his relationship with the people at Rome. And it's a great place for us to begin our relationship with our spouse.
0: Yeah, Romans 1, 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: So the reason this is such a big deal to me, maybe tell them how um, we met in high school, tell them how you bought me my first really nice Bible. And I wasn't a Christian at the time, you were pastor's daughter.
0: No, I was in sin to be dating you, but I had not, I was not walking closely with the Lord at the time. And I started to wonder if you were saved because you had some religious background, but I didn't know if you were saved or not. So I thought, well, I'll buy you a Bible because that's a good place to start. And even though I wasn't really uh, researching my own Bible very much at the time, (laughs) the Lord told me to give you one. So went and got you a really nice Bible, had your name put on it and gave it to you for your graduation.
1: And then I went off to college And I was uh, hearing negative things about Jesus and Christianity in all my college classes. And I thought, I should probably figure out what I think for myself. Mm -hmm. So I sat down and uh, started reading. And in the book of Romans, it was Romans 1. I don't know exactly when I got saved, but I know when— I was aware that God had done something in my soul and changed my heart. And that was reading Romans 1, 6 and 7. So it's the closest thing I've got to a salvation verse and everything kind of awakened there. And it says, and you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. And something in that moment was just like, oh, that's me. Mm-hmm. God just called me to belong to Jesus. And I didn't have a crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. I was... Most likely to succeed in high school, student body president, four year letterman, man of the year. I had scholarships, went off to college. I'm sitting in my dorm. Everything is fine. I, there's no crisis. Successful from the world's view. Yeah. I mean, for a kid who's 18 years old, mm-hmm. like it's going pretty good for me and mm-hmm. I'm healthy and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I had this desperate sense of need or longing. It's just that Jesus is Lord, mm-hmm. whether I feel like I have a crisis or not. Right. And He just grabbed me. And, uh, and in that, then shortly thereafter, I went on a men's retreat with a church. We got into, I got into a really good Bible teaching church and uh, God spoke to me audibly at the men's retreat, said to marry you, preach the Bible, train men and plant churches. So those four things are what I've been doing since I was, I guess, then 19 years of age. Um, and that's been our whole life in ministry. Mm -hmm. And it all started with you buying me a Bible.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, our question to you who are listening is, number one, do you have a good Bible? Mm. If they don't have a good Bible, what's a good Bible?
0: Well, there's a lot of good Bibles, but we like to use the ESV Study Bible uh, word for word and has great study notes to help explain some things and help you dig in a little further if there's some stuff that's hard to understand for you. And it's a great resource to have.
1: And so like Grace said, the ESV is the English Standard Version. There's a lot of good translations. That's a word for word. That's the one that I preach out of, and I'm preaching through Romans in. If you want to tune in and join us, we'd love to have you. And a good study Bible. So do you have a good study Bible? Does your spouse have a good study Bible? If they don't, go get them a really nice Bible. Have a dead cow on the cover, get their name put on it, make it a real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the kids, make sure that all of your kids, if you are parents have an age appropriate Bible, mm-hmm. uh, for the kids. Yep. And for us, this was always a high priority. And honey, I just want to publicly honor and thank you. Cause I've been preaching the Bible publicly for 25 years mm-hmm. and it all started with you giving me a good Bible.
0: That mm. well, was the Lord prompting. So thank you, Jesus.
1: So out of that, um, five kids, you know, 30 years later, here we are back in Romans 1. And uh, talk about the fact that uh, Paul had a, he had a religion, but he didn't have a relationship with God.
0: Yeah, he obeyed all the laws (laughs) of the Bible, but he didn't have um, a relationship where he was serving God. He was just doing um, religious acts. He was actually persecuting Christians, because he was a letter of the law guy, and he that's what he did to, to persecute God's people. And so, so is it
1: possible to quote scriptures and not have God's heart? Of course, yeah. And I don't think that a lot of religious people know that. They're like, well, I'm quoting the Bible. I'm doing what God said. But yeah. if you don't have God's heart...
0: No, then it's a weapon instead of <laughs> instead of an opening open hand for a relationship.
1: And so he had a religion. What he needed was a relationship. Yeah. So the first thing we would say is we jump into Romans some of you need to ask the question, are you a religious person? Mm. Or do you really have a relationship with God? Do you know the scriptures or do you know God? Because you can know the scriptures without knowing God. Um, You can't know God without knowing the scriptures. But just because you know the scriptures doesn't mean mean you know God.
0: No, we see the Pharisees and Paul and a lot of people that quoted things and had everything, all their things lined up to look like they were really godly. But they were missing Jesus.
1: Well, and Paul says elsewhere that knowledge puffs up and love yeah. builds up. Yep. And so you just be very arrogant, very critical, very judgmental, very self-righteous, very non-relational, just, you know, kind of weaponize the Bible, mm-hmm. use it, you know, as a as a means by which to just win arguments and shoot people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, love builds up. So the whole point of the Bible is relational. And the whole book of Romans, this is where the theologians tend to miss it, and I, I do appreciate theology, is— Romans 1 through 11 is about your relationship with God. 12 through 16 is about your relationship with others. And the whole point is the way God treats you with grace and love and forgiveness and mercy and compassion and patience is how you're supposed to treat others. And we would say starting with your spouse, because the gospel needs to start in that first relationship with you and your spouse. And what happens a lot of times is even Christians will come to books of the Bible, even great books like Romans, and they'll treat it like Paul treated the scripture before he met Jesus. Mm -hmm. They'll treat it all about theology. To win arguments rather than relationship to win people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he says, called to belong. That's that's relational. And that's how he treats us. That's how he's asking us to treat others. We should help others feel like they belong or should want to belong uh, in a relationship with Jesus as well. Instead of it saying, Oh, yeah, I belong and I'm and get self-righteous, it should cause us to be humble that God plucked us up and says, I want you to be my child.
1: When we're pulses, as you just quoted in Romans one, you know, called, um, called by God, called to belong to God. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get super nerdy, but the original was written in Greek. And it's the same language that you would use to invite a friend to sit down and have mm-hmm. a meal.
0: That's awesome.
1: And so think about date night as a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, you're like, okay, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? You know, I'm going to look forward to this. We're going to plan for this. I'm going to be present for this. I'm not going to be on my phone. I'm going to focus on you and our relationship. Mm -hmm. That's the language of call to belong. Mm -hmm. And that Jesus offers this invitation into this warm, loving, intimate relationship, this friendship.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then in marriage, we're supposed to have a relationship with our spouse that uh, follows the pattern, the precedent, the prototype of our relationship with Jesus. So just as Jesus called us to belong to him in marriage, we're mm-hmm. calling the spouse to belong to us mm-hmm. and to do life together with us. Mm-hmm. And so the question then would be, you know, how are you doing at uh, at inviting one another into this warm relationship? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes in a marriage, especially when it's gotten cold or distant, they're sitting there thinking, well, as soon as you invite me,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: they're and waiting. They're both waiting. Mm-hmm. And then it gives a lot of time and opportunity for bitterness and, you know, the enemy to show up and and to create a sense of loneliness and yeah, rejection. We've,
0: we've definitely had this and we were both kind of waiting for the other person to step out and make the other person feel loved. And, and you know, it's, it's a give and take in marriage. We both, if you get to a place of resentment or working on bitterness, um, then whoever feels convicted to step out of it, needs to step out of it and not just sit around and wait because that's where the enemy wants you to continue to let that bitterness root grow deeper. And so we both had to do that where it takes humility and you step forward and say, you know what? Either I've been wrong or I'm feeling alone or I don't feel like I belong. I feel like I'm an enemy. Um, We've both had those times where we've had to step out of our own um, hurt or blame shifting and just say, you know what? Ultimately, God wants our marriage to be unified. He wants us to feel uh, like we belong to him and then to each other. And then we have to talk about that and how to keep that from happening again.
1: So he says, uh, you're called to belong to Jesus Christ. And then he has four words, loved by God. There's one, called to be saints. Mm -hmm. There's another one. And then grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about these four words. these four words. Uh, The first one is, and this is the key to a relationship. So just to set the stage, uh, the book of Romans, Paul is writing to people that he has not yet visited. He knows some of the Mm -hmm. people there, uh, but so some of them he has a relationship with, some he doesn't have a relationship with. So what he's saying is, where do we start this relationship? He says, we started with love, um, with hope, I see you as a saint, with grace and with peace. Mm-hmm. If Paul's going to start the relationship there, that's where the relationships that we have, starting with our spouse, need to start. So the first one he talks about is God's love. And what that is, is that's uh, actively pursuing. Mm-hmm. And the good news in a marriage, sometimes it's like, well, I just don't love you right now, or I'm having a hard time loving you. The, the absolute wonderful mystery of Christianity is that we are not the source of the love that we give to our spouse.
0: Mm.
1: He's going to tell us later in Romans 5 that God pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And so we don't need to conjure up or create or manufacture or make the love to give our spouse. God is love. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Love comes from God. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit brings God's love. And when he uses that language of Romans 5, he pours it into our heart, it's like a, a cup that's overflowing mm-hmm. so that there's extra for others. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if if you would get your time with the Lord, you would then get the love you need to give to your spouse. And one of the things that I definitely did that was wrong, uh, especially early in the marriage, and I could still fall back into this uh this habit, this tendency, rather than being with the Lord first to get my relational needs met and then coming to you to pour his love into you, I go to you to meet my relational needs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I, what we always say is a good spouse is still a bad Jesus. Yeah a great spouse is still a bad Jesus. The best spouse mm-hmm. is still a bad Jesus. Yeah.
0: Amen.
1: And so he starts with love and then he talks about uh, called to be saints. So talk a little bit about what it means to be a saint from the perspective of the scriptures.
0: Well, it's for those of us who belong, we are saints because we're forgiven. We don't have that um, description of us anymore of of the uh, fallen sinner that has no hope. We have hope in Christ and we get to live um, by the power of the Holy Spirit as saints who have hope and he gets He gets to pour out, like just like you said, He pours His love. He pours all the fruit of the Spirit into us. And then we can walk as saints because that's our new identity when we are Jesus followers.
1: So in our world, your identity is usually determined. What you do determines who you are. Um, And so if you fail, you're a failure. Mm -hmm. If you succeed, you're successful. Mm -hmm. In the Bible, you do what you are. um, That ultimately, uh, God creates an identity for you, and then your activity flows forth from your identity. For those of you that are listening to this, this will probably shock you. Um, Christians are sinners. Christians are not perfect. But our primary identity is saint, not sinner. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of times, the New Testament refers to God's people as holy or righteous or saint. All of those are essentially synonymous. On only a few, if my memory serves me correct, maybe three occasions, the New Testament refers to a believer as a sinner, possibly. Uh, Most of those are in James, and those are all debated, whether it's a believer or a non-believer. The point is this, uh, sin explains some of what you do, but it does not explain who you are. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That your identity is consistent as saint, and that your activity is sometimes sinful. Mm -hmm. And so all of this is to say that... um, when Paul speaks to the people in Rome, he's saying, I am calling out the best version of you.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm calling out how God sees you and how God will have you when he is finished with you, totally perfect, completely redeemed, and a saint. Mm-hmm.
0: And we're saints not because of our works. We're saints because of Christ's work for us. And so we don't have to walk around saying, yeah, didn't I do a great job on that? I'm such a saint. It's not about that. It's about Jesus dying on the cross so that he sees us through the lens of Christ dying for us, and then we get to be called saints. Well,
1: and so you you mentioned that. We'll get nerdy theological for a moment. Paul says in Second Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite scriptures, God made him who knew no sin... Mm-hmm to become sin. So Jesus takes our sin. Uh, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only does Jesus on the cross take our sin, he gives us his righteousness. Mm. And so now our legal standing before God is the, the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so here, here's here's the big idea. When you look at your spouse, look at who they are in Christ Look at who they will be when Christ is done perfecting them and call out their future. Don't call forth their past. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about who they used to be. Talk about who they are and who they're going to be. Don't beat them up with their failures. Build them up in their righteousness and in their sainthood. Mm-hmm. And um, and sometimes... Even in Christian marriages, we think, well, I just need need to make sure they're aware of their sin. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, the Holy Spirit actually has nominated himself to convict us of sin. And if for some reason he sleeps in or takes a day off, Satan, the accuser of the children of God, is happy to step in and make sure it's taken care of. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we should never point out problems or difficulties or frustrations with our spouse, but it should be saying what you're doing is not who you are. Jesus saved you from that. He's changed you from that. Uh, I'm calling out the best version of you. Let's go forward.
0: Mm -hmm. God taught me how to pray differently in the midst of that because you used to say in some of our arguments, you used to say, well, you just want me to be like you. And actually I didn't want that because I don't want another me. But somehow in my confronting of different things with you, it seemed like I was just trying to make you like me to make things And, you know, better, which wouldn't have made things better. So in that, God convicted me that I needed to be praying specifically, Lord, make him who you have him to be. And praying for what that looked like and help me to encourage that and not discourage that. Help me not to, um, you know, worry what that might look like or not look like. I need to encourage the best in who God has you to be. And I want you to be praying for me in that way too. And then we can step out of the way and let God do the work that he does best by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's how I had to learn to pray for you.
1: Well, and the truth is you bring it up. I think it's a great insight we usually just want our spouse to be like us Mm -hmm. because then they wouldn't annoy us and they would think like us and act like us. Um, and you know,
0: But I'm annoyed by me, so that doesn't necessarily. Yeah, the,
1: the universe to. can hardly handle one of me. We don't need to. Um, but the goal is not to make your spouse like you, but to help your spouse become like who God created right. and redeemed and intends for them to be. That's right. What is the version of them that Jesus intends? That's what a saint is and does. So he says, you're called to belong. And then he talks, so it's this active pursuit is how we have a relationship. It's mutually pursuing, calling, texting, loving, investing in one another. It's mutually pursuit. And then it's love from God that we have to share. It's hope for the future. God does call us a saint. And then he talks about grace and peace. So your name is Grace. So you get to talk about grace.
0: <laughs> well, grace is blessings that you don't have to earn. And basically, like I just said, praying for your spouse, praying for yourself, that you'd give grace to yourself, because sometimes we're really hard on ourselves. But it's it's giving a blessing to someone that just like Jesus did, they may or may not deserve it, but we still give grace because God gave us grace. So we wouldn't be able to do that unless he gave it to us first. So again, it's an overflowing of his grace. There's not an end to God's grace. Um, we can't overwhelm God with giving too much grace. That's He's a grace giver. He's generous with his grace. And so we need to be the same with our spouses and with ourselves. When we're When our hearts are humble before the Lord, then God gives us grace. And when our spouse's hearts are humble, we need to give them grace and and bless them with that grace and not harbor ill will or record of wrong against them.
1: Well, and, and sometimes grace looks like, um, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes grace is like, you know what? I'm not even gonna bring that up. I'm just gonna let it go.
0: Yeah, pick your battles.
1: Uh, sometimes grace is, um, you know what? That was a mess and I'm just going to fix it and not rub your nose in it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes grace is generosity. Mm -hmm. Just, you know what? This is going to cost some money. So um, I didn't intend to do this, but in full disclosure, as we near the end of the episode, um, I did something to my Jeep this week.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you broke the axle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the motor. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's like a Groupon. You break one, you get the other for free. (laughs) So I broke the motor for the third or fourth time. And I've got a, it doesn't have a ton of miles on it, but apparently those are hard miles. (laughs) Um, And so I broke the uh, motor for the third or fourth time, broke the cam and some of the lifters and some of the rockers. And then uh, the front end and the axle, I eviscerated it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sad. I could take, le- I, I couldn't hardly get home. I could take left turns, but I can't take right turns. You know, something is profoundly broken when it only goes to the left. Mm-hmm. There's a little political comedy. Um, and so in that, I came home and uh, you were like, what happened to your Jeep? I was like, I broke the motor. I broke the axle. I broke the front end. And what did you say?
0: I said, well, we better get that figured out. That was a lot of
1: grace. <laughs> <laughs> How many wives their husband would bring home what remains of his vehicle. And then I had mud all over the driveway. Right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Because
1: I said, man, I gotta, I gotta wash this. I gotta at least hose the mud off it
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: before I take it into the shop.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so then I dumped the mud all over the driveway.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's just. Life with a Jeep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and see, friends, if you want to know what Grace looks like, her name is Grace. That's what it looks like. Uh, you didn't say anything mean. You didn't say Why do you keep driving it like that? You didn't say, how come you didn't get a Bradley fighting vehicle, which is what you really need? Uh, How much is this going to cost? None of that. You're just like, well, we better get that fixed. So the moral of the story is, men, go ahead and break your Jeep and then ladies, put some grace on it. All right. So uh, love and then hope because God sees us as a saint, grace, and then this results in peace. peace. And this is an environment in the relationship, in the marriage, in the home that is calm. Mm -hmm. It's not so stressful. It's not so anxious. It's not performance and perfection and duty and expectation and everyday feeling like your performance review with Mm -hmm. middle management. Mm -hmm. What does an environment in marriage look like that is marked by peace for you as a woman?
0: Um, I mean, there's been... Definitely seasons where I felt a lot of anxiety, which is kind of the opposite of peace. And it felt like everything was a trigger instead of patience being surrounded all around me. Um And so I think for me, peace is it surpasses understanding. It's an opportunity to have the Lord um, while well, he's already in control. So to remember that he's in control, no matter what our circumstances, and it's not living in regret of your past or super fearful of the future, which, you know, it's important in every season to learn how to do that.
1: And you can go into certain homes and you could just sense there's a lack of peace in the environment. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of criticism, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of stress, just, anxiety. Yeah, just no, a lot of times, just no plan that can cause a lot of anxiety and lack of peace. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that contribute to that. And we allow those things to rob us of peace.
1: Well, and in a marriage, sometimes you're around a couple, you're like, that's just not a peaceful place to be. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. I just don't like being there. It's yeah. just, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Yes. And most people don't like those environments, but they don't understand, as he's saying here, you've got to pursue one another with love. you got to see the best in one another as saint. you got to put a lot of grace on everything and the result Paul says in Romans 1 6 and 7 there's an environment of peace
0: and it says it's from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ so if we want peace that's where we go to get it
1: because the environment of heaven is one of peace mm-hmm. and when we live in according to God's will we're inviting heaven down when we don't we're pulling the culture of hell up and the culture of hell is isolation not pursuing one another it's a hatred, bitterness, rather than love. It's only talking about you as sinner with no hope of any change in your future. It's a lot of law and punishment and consequence rather than grace. And the result is an environment of anxiety and conflict and separation and frustration. Mm-hmm. And we want you to live heaven down, not hell up. And Paul tells us right there in Romans 1 and 6 how to do it. So we love you. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd love to join us and do a deep dive into Romans, we'd love to give you the free big study guide and uh, help you go through this amazing book of the Bible, build a relationship with God and your spouse. We'll see you in the next episode.